0: This is the last of our messages on vision. As you recall now, a number of weeks ago, we began really teaching a, a one-Sunday message on vision that has now uh, translated into four or five Sundays. And this will be our, our last lesson, and then we need to move on to uh, some other things to get those into our system as well. But I wanted to finish off our vision series uh, talking about significance. You know, people and their vision is as unique and as varied as there are people here this morning. You know, I don't know, I could take a quick guess as to how many folks are with us this morning, but I can tell you that whatever the number would come up being, that there are that many unique and varied visions that are existing within this house and under this rooftop right now many of you are seeing maybe for the first time maybe these last few weeks you're seeing a preferable future you're seeing something maybe in your personal life you're seeing something maybe in your career life you're seeing something in your relational life you're seeing things in 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 church life ministry life whatever area of life you're finally getting a picture of a preferable future And today I want to teach on something that, to be candid, I've never really dug into before. But as I began to just meditate on a couple of things and several verses, uh, there was just something that began to resonate inside of me that seemed good and seemed helpful. And I believe it'll be good and helpful for you as well. Uh, This week I was reading a story about Bill Gates. Has everyone heard who Bill Gates is? he's, he's, he's this geek that made good and no joke. Uh, Bill Gates is believed to be the richest man in the world. He has a net worth. This is a personal, listen to this, a personal net worth of 50 billion. I said billion, not million, $50 billion. Can I just say that's a lot of money? I'm just believing that maybe he'll get saved and come to Charleston, South Carolina. You know where I'm going with that one, don't you? Maybe you don't know the story of Bill Gates. Bill Gates, at the age of 20, dropped out of Harvard University because he saw the day where every home and every desktop would have a personal computer. He had a vision that every single person really in the world, would own a personal computer. I wish I could tell you the stories and the names of people you wouldn't even know who told him he was crazy. What would every person need a computer for? Boy, is that not a joke now. But he had a vision of this happening. And, and his vision really was refined because he saw the greatest place for creativity and profit would be in software. And so he began to to move and to develop and to create in the area of computer software. And he was absolutely right. And of course, the rest is history. Now, you know the stories of people who have belittled such vision. They've criticized people who who had ideas like this. They discouraged it. Gates suffered all of those things. But it's interesting because here as of late, at the age of 50, and maybe that's why it caught my attention, at 50 years old, he announced that he would no longer head the day-to-day management of Microsoft. And he decided that he was going to donate $30 billion, I said billion again, $30 billion to start a foundation that will target global health problems and develop initiatives that would begin to deal With global poverty. Now as I was reading this story. And I was thinking about it. I was also thinking about how here in the near future. I'm going to turn 50. And I may have 30 dollars to donate to global initiatives. But something as I read the story began to dawn on me. You see you can be Bill Gates. And have literally turned the technological world upside down. You can have made incredible sums of money. You could become what the world would instantly define as successful. Yet is it not interesting that it isn't enough? Or maybe it wasn't what you were really looking for. Years ago, I read Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And within that book, he tells an anecdotal story, just an illustration that he uses concerning people's lives. He said that for most people... When they start their, their life out and they're beginning their future, particularly their corporate future, he says that they'll put a ladder up against a wall and they'll begin to climb the rungs of the ladder, going up the ladder in order to achieve and to be promoted within the corporate setting. And they'll walk on people and they'll walk over people and they'll do whatever they can do in order to get themselves up the ladder of success only to find out that when they reached the top of the ladder, it was leaning against the wrong wall. I wonder how many people have to wait till the end of life in order to begin to realize that maybe the ladder they've been climbing has been leaning against the wrong wall. And when it comes to vision, I think it's important that we end these series of lessons with something that kind of keeps everything in perspective. Because, you know, it's easy, at least it's easy for me, I would suspect for many of you. I'm, you know, I'm a guy and sometimes I think this probably triggers things off in the men maybe even more quickly than the ladies. Although I know plenty of women that are that are uh, uh, aggressive and and they're competitive and they 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 want to climb up these ladders of vision. So that doesn't disqualify any of of the ladies as well. But but I know how easy it is to get a vision and to begin to pursue a vision simply because it's against the wall of success. We want to be successful. We, we certainly don't want to be failures. We, we want to be able to achieve something. We want to be able to accrue some things. And oftentimes for the carnal mind, it's I, I want to accrue money. I want to accrue power. I, I want to accrue toys or stuff all around me. And, and I wonder if maybe I can talk to you in this last lesson... And just share with you that, that if, if you're climbing this ladder and you're, you're chasing this vision, that, that you be sure that that ladder isn't leaning against the wrong wall. And so this morning, I've entitled the last message of this vision series, I've entitled it From Success to Significance. From Success to Significance. And if you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to read to you this passage, just two verses, but it will set the tone for some of the things that I want to share with you this morning. First Corinthians chapter nine, beginning with verse 24. If it doesn't make an instant connection, I'll assure you, I'll get it connected for you here in just a moment. First Corinthians nine twenty-four. This is what Paul writes. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, if I stop there, that that could say a lot of different things, probably to a lot of different people. But make sure you read verse 25 along with it. It says, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled or restrained in all things. Now, listen, because I'm going to emphasize something. So listen to the way I inflect here. It says, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. You see that? They do it for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. And so I want to talk for a few moments this morning on from success to significance. Now, all through the epistles, Paul is well known For using analogies and illustrations and I have found it interesting that he uses a lot of military images and he uses lots of sports analogies and he uses these things in order to explain to us the Christian faith and here in this passage he uses the analogy of a runner. He's running a race That's, that would make sense to the Greeks. You know, the Greeks were the ones that founded the Olympics and they were the ones that were great sportsmen. And so he's using an analogy that they would instantly identify with. And and it's an analogy of running. You're running a race and you're running for the prize. And we all know that athletes, especially when Uh, athletes begin to aspire into whether it's the college ranks or the professional ranks. Everyone knows that competition begins to feed into that stream and athletes want to win. I mean, if you're an athlete or you have an athletic background, you know how it was. I mean, you didn't play to lose. You wanted to win. I mean, you compete for the purse. You become a professional athlete and then, then you get paid for it. I mean, I started reading the other day in the newspaper... Uh, what professional golfers make as they win those purses for whatever course that they're seeking to uh, overcome. I mean, it's remarkable. It's remarkable what we pay athletes. It's remarkable the amount of money that can be made. And the more you win and the more successful you are considered, the greater the prize that you're given at the end of that competition. I, I, I mean, I can mention names to you right now. I mean, if I mention to you Tiger Woods, I mean, all of us here can only go cha-ching, cha-ching. I mean, Nike gives him $30 million a year just to wear the swish on his shirt. $30 million a year. I mean, LeBron James. Everybody knows LeBron. I mean, he's just, you know, Cleveland Cavaliers. Incredible basketball star. Football stars. Peyton Manning. Maybe you have another one that's just an incredible athlete. And the more successful they become... You know, the more, the more championships they win, the NBA rings, the, the World Series, the Super Bowls, I mean, the more they begin to accrue great wealth. Well, Paul says here that they compete to obtain something perishable. Now, I mean, I'll be honest enough, I, you know, I, if Nike wants to give me $30 million to put a swish on my shirt, I'd be more than happy to wear it for him. I don't think that's probably likely, but no matter how many millions or billions you may get, you all understand one day it all burns up. I think this is really important. Let me share something with you. You may live in a wonderful house. I like the house that I live in. I don't know that it'll be the last one, but I like the one that I live in. It serves my needs. I I just, there's lots of things I like about it, but one day somebody else's name is going to be on the title. You realize that, don't you? One day, someone else is going to have the title to my car, whether I trade it in or not trade it in. But, but I'm a, I'm a finite human being, and one of these days I'm gonna, I'm gonna die. Last time I read statistics on this fact 100% of human beings eventually die. They did a research study on that. Your government paid for that. So you realize that anything you accrue is perishable. It's all going to rust. It's all going to burn up. One of these days, it's going to fall down. It's all perishable. But Paul says, he says, we are to compete for that which is imperishable. I understand the teaching of eternal rewards. I understand that there'll be a day, whether Jesus comes or whether we die in transition and then we're part of the risen, resurrected saints that are gathered at uh, at the rapture of the church, I understand that one day as believers, we will all come to the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. And it is there that he will begin to hand out rewards to us. And I, I understand that. And and those will be certainly imperishable rewards. But but I also believe that as we go after vision in this life right now. As, as we go after vision and as some go after vision They do it in order to be successful. And I'm going to take just a moment and call a time out to that thought and tell you that instead of pursuing a God vision in order to be successful, why not let's pursue a God vision in order to have significance? I want to suggest to you that, that the world has a measuring stick that we need to break. That the world has an understanding of what success is that that we need to spring out of, and I want to use the term significance in order to distinguish between the perishable and the imperishable. That there is success, and then there's significance. You see, Bill Gates, despite having unprecedented success, is now searching for something in life that can make him feel significant. And the Spirit of the Lord just quickened in me the thought that his purpose and vision for my life And that God's vision for this church and God's vision for you is not just success, but he called us as believers to be significant. And there's a big difference, I think, between those two things. In fact, I believe that ultimately there's an emptiness to success. It's interesting to see how little the Bible speaks of success. I I just did a quick little search through a concordance and I looked up the word success And interestingly enough, you won't find the word success in the New Testament. I thought that was interesting. You'll only find the word success, I think, three or four times in the Old Testament. God uses the term success as he begins to talk to his people. And whenever it is mentioned in the Old Testament, it is always in the context of something God grants to people. In other words, they didn't do it themselves. There's no such thing in the Bible as a self-made man. In the Bible, it's always the Lord saying, and I will grant you success. And I will give to you good success. You see, it's always the Lord saying, I will do this thing for you. But when Jesus comes along, and he begins to fully reveal the Father's heart and perspective, it's as if he turns the success definition, as we've come to define it, upside down. Think about this for just a minute. Jesus comes walking along, and again, imagine Jesus being your pastor. Imagine him for just a moment being the, the probably the predominant voice in your life that's teaching you the Father's ways. And Jesus begins saying these things to you. He says things like, you need to deny yourself. You need to pick up your cross. You need to lose your life in order to save it. You need to be crucified with him. You need to give your life away. In fact, if you're blessed, he had a whole sermon in Matthew chapter five. He said, if you're really going to be blessed, you're going to have to be meek and you're going to have to be merciful and you're going to have to be pure and you're going to have to be a peacemaker and you're going to have to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, you know, as as I've just begun to mention several of the of the things you're, you're, you're beginning to get the picture that Jesus is defining success in a whole different way than maybe we've embraced it or it's even been taught within the church. I think it's important to be reminded that when Jesus called those early disciples to a vision, that he wasn't calling them to success as the world defines it. He was calling them to significance as the Father sees it. There's something that happens to many people. Now again, I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a male, as Pastor Rod says, I'm heterosexual, I'm proud of it. And, um, and I'm, so I'm wired like a guy. I think like a guy. And so it's, you know, obviously difficult for me perhaps to identify with all the thought processes and ways of the ladies. I know, though, that there's something happens in men that occurs at about the halfway point of their life. Some call it midlife crisis. Anybody heard of that phrase? Midlife crisis. You know the stories. A guy enters into this time... That's usually who gets, you know, the jokes or we usually hear the stories about. It's the guy that enters this time frame and whatever is happening inside of them, it can manifest in somehow trying to recapture their youth or trying to grab a hold of something that they've lost, something that they've they've pictured out there that they just don't currently have. There's something that begins to stir around in them that they just begin to do dumb things. They divorced their wife for decades, and so they wanted, you know, all of this money, and then they give half of it away. They uh, want to trade her in for some young model, not realizing that sometimes the seat on the old model is broken in better. I mean, here's the funny thing about this, guys. This trading in, or trading up, or trading down, or whatever, however you want to look at it. It's that you're going to start all over. So they, so they want to get them some young thing, and they want to get them this this new sports car, and and uh, they go get hair plugs, you know, and uh, well, at least we hope they do, and don't do the comb over thing or something like that, you know, and. And we can oftentimes see these people having this moment before our very eyes. I mean, politicians, CEOs of businesses, mega ministry leaders. I mean, we've here in South Carolina. I mean, I've been praying for our governor and I'm telling you, I'm really praying for him. But you understand, we saw a midlife crisis together. The question is why? Why? Why would they do this? Why when they have every outward prize of success? They have money, they may have power. Why? Why would they do this? When they have in their own life things that others only dream of. Why do they suddenly go through these crisis things? It's because they never understood the difference between success and significance. I was reading these excerpts the other day from... From a book. It was, it was online part of it and it just caught my attention as I was just studying some things for this morning. And the book was entitled Halftime Changing Your Game Plan from Success to Significance. And so I was reading these excerpts that they had, uh, in, in this book. And it was a secular book. It had nothing to do with spiritual things. But I thought there were some interesting things that it said as I was reading it. They said that the first half of people's lives Are usually motivated by the question, what can I achieve? How high up the ladder can I climb? How much stuff can I accumulate? How many, you know, how many things can I begin to put into my life? The first half of people's lives usually are thinking in those types of terms. The second half of life, though, people begin to transition if they understand what's going on. They transition to these questions, what do I want to be remembered for? How much really is enough? What really matters in life? Am I really achieving the purposes I was born for? And according to the author, those who crisis are those who refuse to make that transition. In other words, they embrace the success mentality as our world has defined it, And they end up living their whole life chasing this elusive goal that they'll never ultimately reach. And they'll end up looking like many famous movie stars who have millions of dollars. They have Oscars on their fireplace mantles. They have their private limos, their private doctors, their private security. They get their faces on magazines. They get people stopping and pointing at them on, their, on the street. They get, a, they get a star at Grauman's Chinese Theater. They, they get all of these things, but yet they're on their 20th marriage. They have certificates from rehab. And their life in the grand scheme of things is insignificant. You see, by itself, success is empty. What God created inside of us all was to find significance. First we find significance obviously in him. And once we find our significance in him then it becomes what He has designed us to do, what He has called us to do, what He has purposed us to do. And ultimately, when life is all said and done, it's not who has the most dollars in the bank account who wins. It's He who has expended Himself in the will of God, and the purposes of God, in order that the only one that really matters, you hear His voice saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's when we find out who's significant. And I will assure you that on that day, the people you see God pointing out will not be the ones TMZ points out. I can assure you of that. I've never forgotten the story. This was years ago. I'd, I was at a pastor's conference and things were being shared and I, I heard a story that uh, started with Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford, for years, pastored the great church on the way in Los Angeles, California. He started the church with like eight people. He was there 30, 40 years. And uh, the church grew into this, this this large, functioning work. And he told a story. I always like Jack Hayford. He, he does. He tells on himself, so it makes me feel better. When I hear what was going on inside of him, and, and it resonates... About Things that go on inside of me and he told the story at a pastor's conference That in the early days of church on the way That he always lived With with a vision he knew God wanted to do something great there, but he he always defined it Numerically and he always defined it in certain increments He said that he used to tell himself that he'd feel better He said i'm going to feel better when the church finally reaches a hundred people whenever the church reaches a hundred people I'm going to feel better about what we're doing. I'm going to feel better about myself. I'm, I'm just going to feel better about life. And he told the story that when he got there, he'd feel better for a couple of weeks. And then he'd start saying, you know, when I have 200 folks come, I'm going to feel better about myself. That'll be the place that I'll feel good about myself. And time, years will go by, and he'd finally get to that place. And he felt good for a little bit. And then suddenly he'd say to himself, well, maybe it's 300. And he said he went through several of these plateaus and he finally figured out that it didn't matter what plateau he got to, that he was always going to have another number out there that was going to somehow make him feel better about himself. In other words, in other words, the number and achieving the number didn't fix the feeling that was going on inside of him. Now, listen to me. This is going to be real practical for you. There are probably men here this morning in this service who are saying to themselves, if I just got that job, golly, if I got that job, I would be happy. If that job would come available and I could somehow work in that job, I know I'd be happy. Some of you would say, well, you know, if I could make this much money, I'm only making about. $40,000 $40,000 a year, and if I could just make $60,000 a year, oh, that, I, I, would be, I would be happy. It would fix me. If I just got that promotion, if they just gave me that office, if I just traded my wife off for this woman, that would fix me. If I could do another career, that would, if I could just get to that, whatever that next mark is, if I could just get there, it would fix me. Let me say one word to you. Not. Not. It won't fix you. Now, it may be that God would want you there, but don't believe for a moment that it's going to fix the feeling inside. it Now, not with another woman, by the way, I'm not saying I almost got myself in trouble there. But I've just said, let me let me say as far as a career or a Or a salary level. You're in covenant with your wife, by the way. But you hear what I'm saying. If I get there, if I have this, it will fix me. And it doesn't fix you. Listen, ladies. It doesn't escape you either. There are many that would say, oh, if I was just in a relationship. If I could just get married. If I could just have children. If I could just get that new car. If I could just get that new house. If I could marry that one guy in particular. Oh, I know. If I could just reach whatever it is that's out there. If I could redecorate the house. I know it would fix me. Not. It won't fix you either. That is why church going Christian people are still as messed up as the world it's because we define success just like they do only what we do is we baptize it in our spiritual lingo and then when we face the same trouble the world faces we say this well the, the devil's fighting me for this you see the devil's just fighting me because god's called me i've heard let me tell you, i have heard so many crazy things spiritually cloaked that I, I, if I even went down that road, we would be here forever. God wants this. God spoke this. God prophesied this. God told me this. I saw a dream. I had a vision. I, you know, I, late one night this happened. And you know, how it was pizza, folks. It was just pizza that. Indigestion. You see, we just cloak it and we don't understand that, that it's not the next. God never intended for us to get the next thing to fix us. God's intention was that we find ourselves satisfied in him and his will and his purposes. I remember back in the old Jesus movement days, which was ostensibly when I got into uh, the church when I was born again. I remember that we used to talk about being at peace and and, and satisfied and being content finding the will of God. You don't hear that much anymore. And so the question really that comes to us as we end the vision series is this. Are you running for something perishable or are you running for something that's imperishable? Are you running for what the world defines as success or are you running to be significant in the eyes of God? And can I just tell you this, that if you're significant in the eyes of God, then he'll cause you to be significant in the eyes of man. How do you do that? How do you move from... From what the world defines it to what God defines it. This is probably relevant to me because I'm in an age area that here in a few weeks, like I said, I'm going to be turning 50 and it's interesting. I don't know if it's biology or what, but things start spinning around in your mind. You, you kind of evaluate the last half of your life and you begin to look forward at the next half of your life and, uh. These things just begin to move around in your mind. And, and, and I just want to share, there are a couple things that I already know. So I just want to share with you, and I think it's good just to declare certain things and make public confession of things, statements. It's this. Number one, it has taken 27 years for Tracy to get me to the place that I am tolerable. I'm not leaving her because I'm not doing that for another woman. Yeah. <laughs> See, our relationship is in the fruit-bearing stage. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, there were some years... I mean, there was never really a question as to whether we divorce or not. Murder was in there a time or two. but But... <laughs> But divorce was never really, uh, uh, you know, in our household. And, and there were years. And I'll just, you know, and, and, and women, you're, I'm not, women are not perfect. Tracy would be the first to admit that, that she's had her challenges and issues. So she's told those stories. And, and, but I'll just tell you guys that we are not relationally as attuned as the women are. And, and, it's, and it's some biology. It takes what well, we're more attuned to and they're not. We sometimes get aggravated with them, but that's because they're just not attuned to that. But vice versa, the reason they get aggravated with us is because we're just not instantly wired for relationship. And, and so we do a lot of things that are just, you know, wrong and, you know, dense. And, and that's, just, that's just us. So we've got we've to learn about all of this. So I, I recognize the fact, even though I, it was hard for me to recognize it at the time. But, you know, those early years, I, I mean, those early years, those first few years, they were tough years i mean am i the only one but there's some there's some tough years of being married amen everybody can say amen right see i'm not i'm not assigning fault yet so you can you can live in your world that it was all their fault but those those early years i mean they were they were tough old years and we had to plow through and there was there was stress and there was strain and you're wondering, oh God, you know, I, you know, you know what how people think. She's going, is this my cross to bear? And he's going, is this my thorn in the flesh? And you now everybody's spiritualizing it. It's hard. But can I just share this with you? It was hard. There were moments. It was difficult. I could tell you funny stories, transparent stories. Have we yelled and fussed at each other? Absolutely absolutely hey we've told the stories we had to go down the road and get some counsel my pastor went to counseling well of course and you need it too this whole world needs therapy my goodness i mean everybody's going not me i don't need any therapy. you're the worst one because you don't even see it Yeah, I could tell you all sorts of stories and and they aren't always flattering stories. But I'm going to tell you something that as you, as you press through and you get to a place where you finally have pressed through and you've worked it out and you've cried and you've laughed and you've loved and you've hated and you've thrown things and you've screamed and you've cussed and you've done everything and you've been to the cross again and again. Can I just tell you, I am pressing through and she has pressed through to the place where I'm not trading her out and she's not trading me and we just kind of like each other and we're enjoying each other and they're good days. But it took pressing through... And redefining what success is. You see, if you get your success model from movie stars, see, I don't get it. I mean, guys who are married to beautiful women who just ditch them after a few years and they go after another beautiful woman. I mean, I mean what's the deal with that? It's because they define something that's just warped. All right, amen. So that's number one. I know, Trace, you and I are running to the finish line. The second thing I just want everyone to know is, is that as far as my midlife issues, I don't like my trailblazer and I may get rid of it. I'm kicking myself every day that I got rid of my forerunner. Even though my forerunner had 180,000 miles on it, I loved my forerunner. But, you know, God told me to get the trailblazer, you know. You know, it's God's fault. It's God's fault. The third thing I want you to know, no hair plugs are coming my way. No. None. I may, I may trim even closer, but no hair plugs. So I just thought I'd share that with you and make you feel more secure as a congregation about your pastor. But what are, what are some things that we can really do to move from success to significance? And there are some things I want to share with you that I felt like, in all seriousness, the Lord impressed upon me. All right. And, and, and hopefully they'll encourage you. Number one. I need to realize that I am significant to God because of who I am, not what I do. Now, you just put yourself in that. You're significant to God because of who you are, not because of what you do. In fact, you and I were so significant to God that before you did one thing, in fact, before you were ever born, Jesus had already died for you and made a way for you to have a relationship with the Father, God cares about me as a person. He cares about you as an individual person. You know, God really doesn't care how much I make. Do you understand? He doesn't care how much I make because he owns it all. He has exponentially more than I will ever make in my whole lifetime. He doesn't care how much I've accrued. He owns more anyway. I have nothing in and of myself that really could impress him. But yet I am significant to him. You see, Jesus didn't die so you and I could accrue stuff. He died so we might have a relationship so that we could really feel good about ourselves. Just because we're human beings. And because we have a relationship with the Father. And when I choose to serve Him, and when I choose to do His will, and when I choose to participate in His plan and His purpose and His vision for my life, I don't know where it may take me. It may take me into uh, obscure areas where nobody wants to go. Nobody would even consider everybody overlooks. As long as I'm in the center of God's will, I'm an important person. You are too. You know what? I, you've heard me tell the story. There was a day that I was a janitor at a grade school. I was, I was so low on the totem pole There were times people didn't even know I was there, but I'm telling you, and I can't tell the whole story again this morning, but God put me there as a janitor for three years, sweeping floors, cleaning up little kids, you know, throwing up again, never hitting the tile. They always hit the carpet. You know, there's a principle behind there somewhere. They never get to the bathroom. I'm cleaning this stuff up. It is the most demeaning, awful job you can imagine. And, and I'm telling you, in the world's eyes, you are absolutely at the bottom of the barrel. But God used that position for me to reach a kindergarten teacher who, when she passed away, he let the custodian speak to the entire school district. Was I successful as a janitor? I wouldn't say so, but I was significant in the eyes of God. Some of you right now, you're just wrestling around with where you're at and what you're doing, and nobody takes you seriously, and why can't I get out of this And I could do more if they gave me a bigger title, bigger office, bigger bucks, bigger, 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 bigger. I'm telling you, you are buying into a success perspective that you need to break and begin to see that maybe God has you where He's got you, so He can use you to glorify Himself In that situation because nobody would give you, they wouldn't give you a snowball's chance in Gehenna of ever making any difference. But God will make a difference because you're in his will. Are you following me? I am significant to God. And because of that, anything I do in his will is a significant thing as well. Number two, I need to find that one thing. Now, I put this down here because it came to my remembrance, the old movie. You remember the movie City Slickers? Some of you saw that movie. Remember Jack Palance and Billy Crystal? And, and, and those guys that went to the dude ranch? All three of those guys were really guys that were facing midlife crisis. And, and, and one of them has, has wrecked his marriage. Another one is just, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of this macho, egotistical guy. And Billy Crystal's just kind of going along because they're all amigos. And so they're going on this dude ranch, they're on this cattle drive, Jack Palance is this crusty old tough cowboy character, and he and Billy Crystal are sitting on horseback one day, and Jack Palance, you know, he's got that cigarette dangling, you know, as he's talking from his mouth, he looks at Billy Crystal and he says, do you know the secret of life? Billy Crystal says, no. And then Jack Palance holds up one finger, and Billy Crystal says, your finger? He says one thing just one thing that's the secret to life one thing and then billy crystal says well what, what's that one thing and then jack Palant says that's what you have to figure out in philippians chapter 3 verse 7 paul writes these words but what things were gained to me these i have counted loss for christ Yet indeed, I also counted all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Hear that? He's lost everything. And count them as rubbish, though, that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Not that I've already attained. Or am already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that. For which Christ Jesus. Has also laid hold of me. Brethren I don't count myself. To have apprehended. But one thing I do. Forgetting those things. Which are behind. Reaching forward to those things. Which are ahead. I press Toward the goal for the prize. What's the prize? Perishable or imperishable? The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that that Jesus has put a call and he's put a destiny and he's put a purpose on our life? And all of our purposes aren't exactly the same here, but the one thing that is the same is this. That if you love him and you say, that you belong to him and that you want to serve him, this one thing is that whatever he has for me, I count everything else as rubbish to the surpassing greatness of apprehending that one thing. Everything else is expendable, but that one thing. That's what... That's what he's designed me to do. That's what he's called me to do. It may be in, in, in a rescue mission. I'm, I'm beginning to understand if God were to send me inside to a rescue mission to preach to crack addicts and dope heads and everybody that just you wouldn't give a, a nickel for. Let me tell you, if it's God's will, you're important. You're important to them anyway, aren't you? Jesus becomes the one thing. He becomes the center hub of whatever wheel is spinning in your life. Let me tell you, your work is not the center. If it is, you'll never feel good about yourself. Hear me, your hobby is not the center. If it is, you'll never feel good about your life. Your bank account, your investments, your salary, where you live, all of these things, if they're the hub, you will never fix the thing that you're feeling inside right now. I'm telling you, Jesus has to be that one thing, the hub, by which everything else begins to revolve around. Most Americans put everything imaginable in that hub, and then they may let Jesus be a spoke. Jesus is if Jesus is your spoke, that's why the wheel ain't turning right. He wasn't meant to be a spoke, he was meant to be the hub. And your work is a spoke, and your hobbies a spoke. And the things you just kind of enjoy doing on the side, that's a spoke. Your career is a spoke. I mean, these are spokes, but Jesus is the center. That's why American Christianity, it doesn't have any power in it anymore. It's because we've created Jesus as the spoke. It's not Jesus take the wheel. Jesus be the spoke. And when he's the spoke, he's just kind of one thing of a hundred spokes that you sort of shuffle in your life. But he's calling us today to find that one thing. Counting everything else as rubbish. I don't. He still may let you participate in it. But it's all rubbish compared to him. That one thing. You see, because the issue in life is not, do I get to go do my hobby? Do I get to do this agenda? Do I get this salary? The issue for me is, I've got 90 years to do something in the will of God. And then I'll have all eternity. This is what I believe. I believe there's golf courses in heaven so if I don't get to as many as I want to in this life, I've got eternity to get to them all. Amen. This one thing. Number three, simple things. These are just realizations. Simple things can be significant to God. You see, we tend to think our life is meaningless unless something big and splashy and glitzy happens in our life. I want to ask you something. Have you ever thought about this? Who was Moses' mom? Well, we really don't know, do we? Can I just suggest she was significant? Who was Billy Graham's Sunday school teacher? I don't know. Well maybe maybe he's real significant. Don't don't you think that there are probably unfamiliar, obscure faces doing rather simple things that become very, very significant in the will of God. Do you understand? We hear about Nehemiah, but you don't hear about the thousands of people that stood building the wall, do you? Do you think they were significant? I believe they were. I mean, I believe that that as the army of Gideon was being whittled down. We all like the story of Gideon, but you know there were 300 soldiers there that watched this army get whittled down from 30,000 to their 300. Can you imagine being one of the 300? And it's just been whittled down. And you're fixing to go fight an enemy that's just exponentially larger than you. I'd want my name in the book of Judges if I was one of the 300. 300. I really would. I'd say, Lord, that doesn't seem quite right that you just put Gideon in there. I was one of the 300. But it didn't make it. But were they significant? You better know they were significant. I mean, just simple things. You never know simple things. Some of you right now, I mean, you you have no idea. I'm I'm getting, just now I'm getting old enough and, and I've been serving God long enough that I've had people from years ago isn't that true, Trace? Facebook's an amazing thing. That they'll, they'll, they'll drop you a line, somebody you met two, three decades ago, and they'll say, you'll never know what that word meant to me at that particular moment. Now hear me, I, that, nobody's going to announce that on Fox News, any cable network. Nobody's going to put that in a magazine. But do you understand that at that moment, you become exceedingly significant to that one person? Simple things are significant to God. And right now, some of us are, are being parents. And you know what? That doesn't get a lot of hoorah and, yet, you know, hoorays. But you know what? There's going to come a day. Who knows that your children might not be world changers? And I will assure you that while they get the accolades, it might have been you who laid the foundation. You're significant you're very significant. And lastly, number four, that relationships are more important than achievements. You see, success is all about achievement. I think significance is all about relationship. Years ago, I had a conversation with my pastor, Pastor Miles, and and I know that at the time he was thinking about his legacy and what he was leaving behind and he had a big church that he needed to hand off, and, and he had a fellowship of pastors he was wanting to hand off. And I started thinking, and as I was just kind of watching how he was working through all of this, I thought to myself, you know, that when his life is all said and done, to be candid with you, the buildings he built, that's great. The, the, the organization that he brought to a fellowship of pastors, that's great as well. But you know, you know what I think is going to be the most important thing that he will have left is that after after Pastor Miles goes on to be with the Lord and he's got his eternal reward, and I'm still pastoring, and hundreds of other people who were touched by his ministry are still pastoring or serving the Lord, probably the greatest thing that will ever happen is when one of those pastors stands up sometime and he says, I remember when Pastor Miles once said and he gets quoted. You see, bricks and mortar will fall down. Organizations will crumble and they'll turn into other organizations. But the impact you can have in a relationship when someone just says, I I, I can remember when they said. You see, Jesus never built a building. Jesus never raised an army. Jesus never started an organization. Jesus didn't really become rich. Jesus never had his face on a magazine cover. Jesus never owned mansions. Jesus did not have many of the things we associate today with success. In fact, you could make a case that in the world's eyes, maybe he wasn't successful. After all, it got him killed. But by affecting the lives of just a few people, he changed the landscape of our entire world. That's why there's significance. And one of these days, I am learning at age 50 to shift from success to significance. I hope, young people, you do this shift way before you get to my age. But one of these days, I'm going to die unless unless Jesus comes again. And while it might be nice to build a building and to have left it to a posterity, while it might be nice to have accrued some inheritance and, and be able to give it away to my children... While it would be nice to have a few affirmations, some awards, something you could put up on the fireplace mantle, these things may have their place. But the greatest thing that can really ever happen to a person is when you lay me in the grave and you stand over me and you say, I remember that he said this. The greatest accolade you could give is when someone says, what, what would Pastor Baird have said? What would he have done? How would he have looked at that? Do you understand? The greatest thing that might be able to be said of you as a parent is when your children are older and they're facing their crisis and they're going, what would mom have done? What would dad have done? How would my parents have faced this moment? I remember when they told me I remember when they shared with me. I remember when they prayed with me. I remember, I remember how they said that this is how they... Let me tell you something. You may not have much to pass on by the way of goods, but if you can pass that on, you are a significant person. Significant. I was thinking, and I, and I just wrote this down. I, I'm, this is, I didn't get this off the internet. I didn't copy this out of a book. I just started writing some things down. And I want to share with you this, and then I'm concluding. I was writing about the difference between success and significance. And this is what I wrote. Success is external results. Significance is internal transformation. Success can be quick and easy. Significance always takes time and work. Success is determined by your peers. Significance is determined by your protege. Success is rewarded in this lifetime. Significance is rewarded in eternity. Success is cheered by the crowds. Significance is admired by historians. Success is what you accumulate. Significance is what you impart. Success is pleasing the masses. Significance is pleasing your God. Success can be counted in days. Significance can be seen over generations. Success is about what you received. Significance is about what you reformed. Success will put you on the magazine cover. Significance will put you in people's hearts. Success will cause you to set trends. Significance will cause you to change history. Success may put you in the hall of fame. Significance will put you in that great cloud of witnesses. Success is what people see when they meet you. Significance is what people feel when they leave you. Success is what people recognize when you are alive. Significance is what people see after you've died. This week. senator passed away by the name of Edward Kennedy you know Ted Kennedy and I are probably diametrically polar opposites in how we would probably view life and government and values and all sorts of things but I started to think about that and and, you know I I decided I wasn't going to speak ill of the dead because he's run his course he's passed away he was important to his family and that's worthy of a, of a respect. But I started just to watch all of the different accolades and the different uh, memorial affirmations that were made. And uh, like them, love them, agree with them, don't agree with them. The issue, the issue to me right now is, is absolutely none of those things. The issue is that no matter how large a person he was and no matter how well known he may have been and no matter all of those sorts of things that there's going to come a moment when all of us are going to be in that box pushed into some service, probably somewhere and people are going to start saying something. And the issue then will be are they going to only be able to enumerate all your successes or will you really have been an impact and, and, and been a significant, powerful voice in people's lives? Success or significance? I, I just decided I, I'm going for this, significance. I want you to know right now that you are significant. God loves you. He he died for you. He made provision in order that you could be salt in the earth and that you could be light in people's lives. It may not look like much now, but there's going to come a day it's going to look massive in the eyes of everyone. You're going to walk to the front and no one will have known who you were in this life. But everybody who will be there on that day will look and wish they were you. I'll never forget Rick Joyner's picture of those who will be the closest to the presence of God will not be the mega ministers. They'll not be the. The notable ministries, they'll not be the big time pastors in his vision. He saw the obscure nameless saints come. Who became of great significance to God because they obeyed him and they served him. And they did it just because it was him significance would you stand with me lord i'm praying this morning for some that i sense in my in my spirit that's probably struggling with their own views of esteem who maybe have felt like they've served you and for whatever reason, have come up short. Lord, I pray that you would clear up their perspective this morning and help them to see rightly and righteously that the things they are doing, even in obscure, simple, non-notable places, is having a high impact in your eyes. Lord, I pray for those this morning that have messed up and they've twisted their definitions. Of success and significance. They've they've just got it all crosswired. And Lord, right now I ask by your spirit you would untangle that thing and you would help them to see that that what they're pursuing will not ultimately satisfy. But that you're calling them to do your will, to embrace your ways, to receive your voice in your affirmation in their life. Lord, I pray that you would do that, that you would bring the contentment that they're so so desperately longing to find in their life, but that seems so elusive. I pray that you would bring them back to the place where if there was nothing else and all they had was you, it would be more than enough. Lord, would you do that? Lord, help us as a body, I pray in Jesus' name, to be able to remember that that you look at things a whole lot differently than maybe we would. Help us to know that as we do what you have asked us to do as a people, that as we pursue the purposes and the vision of God together as a congregation, that, Lord, we are making a significant impact. Lord, I can look across this congregation and I can see people whose lives have literally been changed. Lord, they've been changed. They are not the same people. That they were a year, two years, five years, seven years ago. A decade ago for some. They're just not the same people. And Lord, that's significant. And you have accomplished that. Lord, I pray today that that our measuring sticks would be broken. And that your measuring line would once again be placed in our life. Lord, it's your word. Your word is called... The rule, the canon. It's, it's what we measure things by. And and Lord, help us to measure rightly, I pray, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' mighty name. And thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for calling us your own. Thank you that it really is, the statement really is true, that if we were the only ones that you had to die for, that you would have been more than willing to do that just for us. Wow. If no one ever came, you would have died. Just to see me come forward. Thank you Lord. And now just these last moments. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I'll tell you what I want to do. As we wrap up vision right now. I'm just going to open up the altars. And there's really two aspects of this invitation. I'm going to give right now. Before I cut you loose. Two aspects. The first one is this. That you would truly say to yourself. And you would want to get before God. And say Lord I repent. From getting my measuring stick all messed up and i want you to know that today i'm breaking the world's ruler the world's yardstick and and i'm embracing that i repent it's just it's become sin my pursuit of worldly things has just simply become sin and and i recognize that listen god's not condemning you but he's convicting you and he's challenging you in order that you might come to the place where you would say yep yep I need to do that. And, and he's loving you to the place that he wants to get you back on track. So the first invitation is to those who would just simply like a moment here at the cross. If that's you. I, I'm, we've got crosses on both sides. And I just want you to to bring your old measuring stick with you. To break it. Just kind of spiritually speaking, just kind of in your mind and in your heart, break it and say, Lord, the cross is my measuring stick. Everything's measured by the cross before i go today i just need to spend some time at the cross i'm not going to jump into your business but i am going to offer that opportunity i want you just to start slipping out right now if that's you and you'd like to do business with god before you go this morning second invitation i have is going to be for those that you've never opened up your heart to jesus christ you're watching people right now come forward just getting things put back in proper order in their life before they leave the house of God today. But you have not gotten Jesus where he needs to be. It's not a matter of breaking a measuring stick. It's a matter of getting Jesus in your heart. It's about getting your relationship restored or on track or started with him. And so as folks are moving towards the cross and they're doing business around the cross, I see some standing, kneeling, they can come any way they want. But I want you, if that's you, I want you to come and just... And just join me. We love people wanting to make a new start. If you need to make a new start and say, you know, I need my life to get back on track with the Lord. I want to do that before I leave this morning. I'm just giving you an invitation to slip out. You'll not be alone. There's others here. But I want you just to slip out right now. If if you're needing to make a new commitment, if you're needing to start a commitment. But if that's you, you can just slip out. And I'll just pray with you before we go this morning. I'm going to give you just a moment or two. We do this in quiet because it's just, it's just good to let the Holy Spirit talk to you. Praise God. How about it? Anyone before we go? Just another moment. Praise God. All right, let's pray right now. Father, thank you this morning that you're talking to us. And you're putting things in order and you're giving us a clear perspective. Lord, I thank you for people who are significant. I want you to hear my voice as if it were the very voice of God right now. I want everyone to hear it when I say that you're important to God. Hear me now. I don't know that God's going to sound like me, but but that's all we've got at the moment. But listen, as if it were the voice of the Lord, you are important. You have worth. You are significant, not because of what you're doing. You can't do enough. You're not good enough. You could could do headstands and cut a flip and people may clap, but it isn't going to impress God. What impresses God is when you obey the simple will of God. Sometimes it gets fanfare, sometimes it doesn't. But I will assure you one day, it will... It will be what you present and the Lord will say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I speak affirmation right now in Jesus name. I, 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 I don't speak success in the sense that you're just going to get what it is you you may want or thought you want. But I am speaking significance into your life right now. That you may impact your children, but that's a significant thing. You may impact your friends. That's a significant thing. You may impact co-workers or neighbors. That's a significant thing. You may brush shoulders with someone only for a moment, do some random act of kindness, and it will be a significant thing if you had kingdom eyes. Don't despise that. God's doing something significant. And Lord, together, we embrace significance this morning. Together, we just say we are finding ourselves content and satisfied and fulfilled in the will of god we don't measure it like others measure it we just measure it like you measure it and lord if we're being fully obedient then we're doing all right (laughs) so lord i pray right now that that sense of affirmation that can only come from you lord if i could fix their insides by by throwing money at them if i could fix their insides by By opening some door, Lord, I'd be more than happy to do it. But, Lord, it will not fix the inside. Only you can fix that by your presence and the satisfaction that comes by serving you. So, Lord, we receive that understanding. We receive that affirmation. And we believe you're going to do great things in our life. Lord, great is no longer what the world defines it, but great is in the eyes of God. So, Lord, we receive that right now. I want everyone to say this, not arrogantly, but with great humility. Now, remember, this is, this is your heart. No one can define it but you. But with great humility, say, I am. am. Say, I am somebody. Because God says, I am somebody. I'm significant to my God. And I am satisfied in the knowledge that I am pleasing Him. Nothing greater... Than to please my God. And I'll walk in that. In Jesus name. Amen. Come on put your hands together. Come on and love the Lord. Come on love the Lord. Blessed be the name of our God. Hallelujah. Hey listen to me. I'm going to cut you loose. But Wednesday night's really growing. I've been really super encouraged. By how many folks are coming out on Wednesday. We're sowing into people. Teaching them the deeper things. And you need to be here. If you're not here on Wednesdays, be here. Your connect groups are going great. Folks, be at connect groups. And uh, we've got lists of connect group leaders. They want to see you too. But God bless you. Love each other. Hug neck, shake hands, and we'll see you in the house of God. You're released.